Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Eric Walters. In this episode, we get to hang out with Stephen Prager from the National Audubon Society for Arizona. They're doing some really cool things to preserve some of the most precious things in our state, water and our birds. And they get involved with beer, which is a great thing to get involved with, to bring some awareness to people, right? Before we get into that, though, we've got shirts for sale. Tap That Easy shirts, $25, including shipping. $5 of each sale will go towards the Teresa Sorrell's Legacy Fund, which is a fund that is designed to help Arizona breweries that are that are in need or people in the Arizona beer community who are in need. And as we know, all of them are, are struggling right now, so we're... We wanted to do do our part to, to give back a little bit um, to the breweries that have done so much for us. So $5 of each shirt is going to go towards that. If you want a Tap That Easy shirt, I don't have to store up just yet. I know I'm embarrassed and, and it's unexcusable. Uh, but uh, if you want one, send me an email, eric at tapthateasy.com or uh, direct message me on Facebook or Instagram. Now, we're also selling the Arizona Beer Book. $10 of each Arizona beer book will go to that Teresa Soros Legacy Fund. And we have a couple shirts on the website as well. And $5 of each shirt sale will go towards the Teresa Soros Legacy Fund. And like I said, all these prices do include shipping. Now, with the Arizona beer book and the shirts that we have for the Arizona beer book, those are in a store, online store. TheArizonaBeerBook.com. Click on the ship button up at the top. Not ship, shop. Uh, click on shop at the top of the page and get yourself some Arizona Beer Book stuff and get some money going over to the Teresa Soros Legacy Fund. Now, please continue to support these local breweries, these local restaurants. Get takeout uh, when you can. Get your beer to go deliver. They're, they're doing some really, really cool things. So keep supporting the local food and beer scene. Also, uh, every Saturday, we've been doing a Instagram happy hour getting some musical guests, some giveaways, some chugging contests, different different guests. So uh, moving forward, we're going to be doing those on Wednesdays from 7 until 8. So make sure you join or follow Tap That AZ podcast on Instagram to stay up to date on that. All right. In today's episode, I get to talk with Stephen Prager from the National Audubon Society for Arizona. So through a series of programs, him and his team worked tirelessly to bring awareness and assistance to some of the most at-risk aspects of our beautiful state, our water and our birds. One program is the Western Rivers Brewers Council. It brings together like-minded breweries to help protect rivers in the Colorado River Basin. Now, you've probably seen the Rain Crow IPA. So this was a collaboration. I think they've done it a couple times. Borderlands. Ren House and Crooked Tooth. I mean, really, can you get get any better than that? That combination. It was a, a hazy wheat IPA, Rain Crow IPA. It was fantastic. Uh, they've done collaborations with Arizona Wilderness, including the Humminbird Springs Saison. They've done collaborations with Prison Hill, Oso, Oro, Petal House. They've really just really awesome to see the the Arizona breweries getting involved for things like this. So, all right. Let's wrap up all the talking from me and let's get into this episode with Stephen Prager. All right, so my guest today was introduced by um, Dr. Mike Malazzi. Um, Steve, I don't know if you saw, is it Steve or Stephen? Either way. 
Either way, okay. All right, all right. Steve and Steven seem to be one of the ones that people don't really mind, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't do it with a pH, that drub drives me nuts. <laughs> really? But step other than that, you're good. Step is it step hen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just to clarify, it's Steve with a V. Uh, yes, sir. Just a couple episodes, uh, Dr. Mike Malazzi gave us his, his uh, pandemic survival guide. Uh, I don't know if you heard that episode or not, but uh, – mm-hmm. He's an interesting guy for sure. I love Mike. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Mike is great. He's got his hands in absolutely everything. Yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, like oh, dude, Mike Malazzi is involved with that too. Like, what the? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All good stuff, though, man. He's he's always promoting really positive things. So I love that. So, uh, who are you? You're you're, you're Stephen Prager, right? Yeah, I'm Steve Prager. Um, I'm the important bird areas program associate for the Audubon Arizona, for the state office for the National Audubon Society. What does that mean exactly? What is a because when I think of Audubon, I think of the like the German freeway, right? Is it in Germany or wherever it is where you can yeah, just drive as fast as you want? <laughs> um, we're better known in in the east because that's where we started out okay. west. Um, in our office, it was just a couple of years ago that I stopped getting calls from car enthusiasts looking for parts and shops <laughs> and stuff. So you're not alone there. Um, but we're bird people. We're a bird conservation organization. We focus on protecting birds and the places that they live. And Audubon's been around for 115 years plus. Oh, wow. So we're one of the country's oldest conservation organizations. So Audubon is, is that's nationwide. That's a nationwide yeah. organization. Yeah. And you're part um, of the Arizona chapter. North America. Um, we've okay. got some, uh, some partners in um, our international program as well. Gotcha. Uh, North America. And so uh, how do you, how do you, Stephen Prager, how, how do you get involved with, with that? How do I personally get involved? With well, how, how did people you get? Well, how, how did, did I get? Yeah. How did you get involved it? with like um, bird conservation? Yeah. So I grew up here in Arizona and if you've spent any time here, you have fallen in love with what we've got to offer in the outdoors Yeah. and you've had your heart broken from time to time when you see it, it changed or destroyed or developed. Um, so I grew up with that and always knew that I wanted to be involved in conservation in some way. And that I wanted to give back to specifically Arizona because uh, it, you know, it's the state that inspired me. Yeah. Um, I went to ASU for a degree in conservation biology uh, and planned to do work with reptiles. Um, yeah. Reptile jobs are hard to find. So I ended up working with native fish at the Arizona Game and Fish Department. Um, and now I'm working with birds at Audubon, Arizona. And anytime I can just, if I can focus on habitat rather than a species, I love it. Um, yeah. And Audubon's all about protecting habitat for birds. So I'm out there working with birds, but uh, the snakes and the fish and the rest of it and us um, people yeah. benefit from that work as well. So you get to, you still get to, to interact with these reptiles that, uh, that you weren't able to work with full time. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, good days. I'm out in the field. Um, I get stuck in the office a lot, but when I'm, when I'm out in the field, I'm always, my neck always hurts cause I'm looking up at the birds and I'm looking back down for, for snakes and lizards and stuff. So, yeah. so, well, so you said that, uh, there it's hard to find jobs working with, with reptiles. Why is that? Um, there it's just a really specific niche, I guess. Okay. Uh, there are are only so many like threatened or endangered reptiles. Um, so there's jobs associated with that, but okay. there are few and far between. Uh, and they're what they lack that birds have is that birds are habitat indicators. Okay. Um, 
you can look at at a place and the suite of birds that is there, the suite of birds that was historically there, and then really figure out what's going on with the habitat and what we as conservationists need to do to to help improve things. Um, Reptiles can do that a little bit, but not in the same way that birds do. If a place doesn't have what a bird needs, it's going to pick up and move. It's on wings. Yeah. Um, it's going to get out of there and move to someone else. So it's really telling. And because of that, there's more work in, in that group of animals. Because um, you can do more with it at the end of the day when you get that data. Yeah, that's interesting. You say that that they that they're an indicator of the of the environment, right? Because I mean, you you think of the the what is it the classic bird in a cage and like a coal mine type, you know, the, the, right? The, right? Yeah, um, I think that's a different, more extreme scenario. But uh, but that's that's really interesting because they they're not stuck there, like you said. They just pick yep. up and they can they can pick up and move. And uh, I so I when when we're when we talked and we were going to set this up, I, I had remembered something. I felt like I came across this a couple of years ago where it said that either the Sonoran Desert or maybe right outside of Tucson is one of the most biodiverse areas for birds. Is that right? Like, yeah, birds in the country, the world. Like, um, I couldn't remember. I was thinking in, for the world. But, uh, in the United States, for sure. Okay. Um, but we always get beat out by, you know, like tropical habitat and stuff mm-hmm. um, down in Central and South America for those, those world titles. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, what you guys have down in Tucson is that, one, you have an influence from subtropical climate. So you've got extra moisture that you really see during your monsoon season okay. um, that hits Tucson and the surrounding areas, but doesn't work its way much further north. The other thing you have is your mountains. Um, You hear them referred to as sky islands, and that's because there are these islands of unique habitat within a sea of desert and grassland. Okay. Um, One statistic that I've heard is that if you drive up Mount Lemmon from the base to the top, you'll drive through every habitat type that you would go through if you drove from Baja to Vancouver. Really? Wow. On that one mountain. Yeah. Um, and because of that, you have all those species that associate with those different habitat types. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really an incredible corner of the state and the country and yeah. worthy of our attention and protection. For sure. Absolutely. And, and so do you have friends that haven't been to Arizona and you talk to them and they think, dude, there's just desert, right? You guys just have yeah. roadrunners, just roadrunners and rattlesnakes, right? Yep. That's what you hear. You hear <laughs> yeah. it's got you know, we don't have trees, everything is brown and, you know, yeah. they're welcome to think that because sure. we get to keep Arizona to yeah. ourselves. So. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. But I always, you know, when I have a friend that moves here and they end up being a little bit homesick for, for where they're from, you know, I always remind them and I try to help them out that like, no matter what natural environment feels like home to you, you can find it in Arizona. Yeah. It might be a small patch. You might have to drive to it, but you can reset in that place that that feels like home. Yeah. That makes, yeah. It's a good point. That's a good point. Cause I, I think uh, my friends, so I grew up in Ohio and my friends like, dude, it's 140 degrees. And you know, they send me screenshots. So I make sure I send them screenshots when it's like 78 and you know, January. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I tell them like, like people that my friends have been out here, like, dude, like I've taken them to Flagstaff and like, well, this is Arizona. I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Or you go to the Mogollon Rim and it's like, yeah, this is, or Sedona. There's so much, there's so much diversity in, in just the environment itself. That doesn't even include like plant species or animal species. It's, it's amazing, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's unique. You know, you can drive around in the Eastern part of the country and 
just drive through like forest for days or yeah. you can go up into the Midwest and drive through prairie for days. Yeah, um, but here it it changes on a dime around every corner. So with your what you guys do, what are some of the initiatives you guys have have worked on recently? Because I, I know we're, I mean, this is a beer podcast, so if anybody's listening, we're going to get into the beer stuff. Because <laughs> you guys, you guys have done some pretty cool collaborations with with Arizona breweries. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, what are some of the things that you guys um, historically have worked on, and and what are you working on uh, at this point? Cool. Um, so historically, the organization has always focused on science, education, and policy. Um, so we do a lot of public engagement work, um, a lot of on-the-ground data collection, um, and working with our lawmakers, trying to make sure that, that our regulations benefit birds and the places they live and the people that depend on those places as well. Yeah. Um, Early days, we focused on things like the Endangered Species Act. We helped push along um, the um, Migratory Bird Treaty Act. It's one of our, our first big victories, too. Um, our Audubon, Arizona office does the same kind of stuff. We are at the Nina Mason Pulliam Rio Salado Audubon Center, um, and that is in Phoenix, Arizona. So not not as diverse and incredible as Tucson, but still yeah. a pretty rad place, if you ask me. <laughs> um, and we're right along the, a restored stretch of the, the Salt River, which is the river that Phoenix owes its existence to. Sure, um, yeah. To, to put it lightly. Um, and a lot of our work rotates around water because you really can't talk about conservation in the West without talking about water. A lot of our special habitats depend on it, and it's a limited resource out here. Yeah. Um, so one big thing that we've been doing for the last couple of years is our Western Rivers Action Network. Okay. And this is a, a coalition of birders, outdoor enthusiasts, um, hunters, anglers, business folks, now brewers. Um, and they're, they're focused on, on, pr on promoting policies that protect water and rivers in the Colorado River Basin. Okay. Um, so that's Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Colorado, a little bit of California, a little bit of Nevada, um, a couple upper basin states as well. And the reason we launched that network is because we realized that people don't pay attention to water policy. Like we all know it's critical, but sure. water policy is convoluted and overly, just way overly complicated, hard to understand really hard to figure out how like what you care about is affected by the policy you're looking at. So yeah. we're fortunate on Audubon because we have a background in that sort of stuff um, that we can kind of translate that into something more meaningful, show people, tell people how it's going to impact them and the, yeah. the resources they care about and then let them know when their voice is valuable when they need to show up at a meeting or sign on to a letter or reach out to their congressperson. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a network of like about like 40,000 people now across wow. the Colorado River Basin. Nice. Um, okay. We can activate on a dime when we need them. Yeah. Really to, to, if I'm hearing this correctly, to spread the awareness. 
right? Spread the awareness of, of the importance of like, because, you know, you talked about like water conservation and, and stuff and people are like, oh, okay, yeah, well, I can, I can fill this class up all the way today. So everything's good. And then it's like, well, if there's no water, then there's no beer. Like, whoa, wait, what? You know? So yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, that's what you see with like, you know, uh, Sanagua malt and, um, I mean, that's the big one I think of, but you have the, you know, the city of uh, Scottsdale that did like the, the, uh, reclaimed water, um, uh, yeah, I think it was like the one water brewing challenge, the brew challenge. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I've seen a few of those. I've, I've covered a few of those through the podcast and it's interesting. Like it's, it's interesting because you know, how do you get somebody to care about something? Well, make it into beer and then, then they'll listen, right? You fill yeah. up their glass and they'll sit there and listen. Yeah. That, that challenge and the one that came before it, what was that? The, um, the pure water brewing challenge. They had that yeah. big truck and they were driving around. Both of those were from reclaimed wastewater. Yeah. Um, which if we're going to be sustainable at things here in the West, it's going to be a big part of our future. And there's such a yuck factor with it. You know, people are like, yeah. uh, I don't want to drink wastewater. Yeah. And it, those were both so successful and they changed the dialogue around that. I haven't heard the term toilet to tap in like years. <laughs> and yeah. that's, I don't know who was the first person to say that, but they, they really screwed things up yeah. by making it sound so gross. And yeah. it took brewers to, to rally people behind it. If you can brew beer out of it, it's yeah. good water, you know? For sure. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because people will, um, we put grosser shit in our body <laughs> anyways. Right. And, and I mean, that's, that's like the cleanest, purest form of, of water, right? It's yeah. It's, the brewers had trouble with it because it was too pure. They were yeah. like adding impurities back into it to, yeah. to make it less of a blank slate. <laughs> Throwing some actually brew it. metal shavings and shit in there. We need some, <laughs> we need some, something in this a little, little gumption. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But no, it's, it's, it is interesting because, um, yeah, the people are like, dude, I'm not drinking. One of my buddies is like, dude, I'm not drinking poo poo water. I'm like, dude, it's not like, you don't, you know, you don't get it. Like, so, yeah. so your descendants are going to, or whatever what are, what are not descendants? What are the next, what are your, what is your legacy? Whatever they're called. They're going to die right. with that Descent. mentality, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. They're going to die if you, if you, if you share that information or share that mentality. Um, and I think it's so cool that the breweries jumped on board or like, hell yeah, man, let's, let's do this. Like that's, yeah. yeah. Um, they're all about it. So how, so the brewers council, like when, when yeah. Mike connected us, uh, connected us via, via email, I'm like, is it really a brewers council? That's awesome. And then I've looked at the link and I'm like, there is a Brewers Council. <laughs> sure enough. Yeah, about 25 yeah. members strong now, including the Craft Brewers Guild. Uh, and to explain it, I'll take a couple of steps back. Yeah. Um, so at the Rio Salado Center, we actually, you know, I'm going to take even a further step back. Historically, the conservation movement is it's older, wealthier white folk because okay. they're the ones with the time to, to sit around and worry about what's wrong with the world. They're not sitting yeah. there worrying about making ends meet day to sure. day, you know, like caring about the environment is a, is a privilege. Um, yeah. I think we should recognize that, but because of that, um, our membership reflects that too. It's, it's older, it's whiter. It doesn't reflect the communities that we work in a lot of the times. Okay. And we've been putting a lot in all thought into how to change that. And one program we came up with was birds and beer. 
Um, it actually came up. The staff was sitting around having a beer on a Friday thinking about this problem. And, you know, someone looked at the, the bottle in their hand and was like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. the answer's <laughs> right here. Yeah. Uh, so this program has been going on for about 10 years on the third Thursday of every month at our center, 630 after work. And we bring down a local professional in, in comp- that works in conservation in some capacity. And it's sponsored by Arizona Wilderness Brewing Company. Oh, so nice. folks, you know, eat some snacks, have a couple beers, um, and then listen to what's going on in conservation around Arizona. And we found that it it draws in a different crowd. You know, it's a, a younger, more diverse crowd than we typically yeah. see at our programs. Um, so a few years later, I was thinking about that that same problem with our Western Nervous Action Network. It, it is a certain group of people, and they're awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah. they're, they, you know they built Audubon. So you can't, you can't knock them too hard. Um, But we need the other voices there too. You know, these problems that the environment faces are immense and old white people alone aren't going to be able to do it. Like we need, we're all in this together. You know, we need everybody on board to, to be taking action. So I was thinking about Western rivers. I was thinking about birds and beer. Um, And I was like, you know what, let's, let's do the same thing. Like, like we have hunters and anglers speaking up for these things, why don't we bring in some small business partners? Um, because they are, they're local, they're community hubs, they're, they care about sustainability and the well-being of their, their towns, their communities. Uh, so I originally reached out to Arizona Wilderness, shot them the idea. Uh, they had a guy working for them at the time, Chris Chapel, who was... Um, also I think at the nature conservancy at the time. Okay. So he was, you know, all on board, thought it was a he cool was, idea. You knew the right guy. Um, you knew the right guy to reach out right? to. <laughs> yeah. And then once I had Arizona wilderness on it, it gave me some street cred, you know? So I was yeah. able to start reaching out to other breweries and get them on board. And we had originally thought of it as you know, a way to reach a more diverse crowd, you know, have these brewers share our materials, um, have coasters with our website on it, put posters up, help us on social media. Um, and that, that has worked and that's been great. But what I didn't realize up front is how powerful they were, the brewers were going to be as advocates unto themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a, a, over a billion dollar industry in Arizona. Yeah. And it may come as a surprise to anyone new to Arizona, but not all of our policymakers are motivated by conservation or rivers or birds or habitat. <laughs> no, um, I don't believe but you, you go into them with someone representing a billion dollar small business um, sector in their state saying the exact same things. And all of a sudden they start to listen because hmm. birds need water. Beer needs water. Um, it's easy to talk about. We all agree on this stuff. So they can just kind of echo our message to to policymakers and sometimes make it a lot further. Um, And they're memorable. You know, you get like John or Patrick from wilderness or Mike in a legislator's office and they, you know, like the flannel and the beard, they look a little bit different than the typical lobbyist. you see. So they remember (laughs) those meetings. Yeah. Um, And it, it's just been incredible. Like once we started it up, the, the amount of support from the brewing community has been really something, Um, you know, like I, I justified it to myself in the beginning with like, you know, their community hubs, they care about it, but like y'all proved that that's true. Yeah. Um, Really (laughs) tenfold. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's cool, man. I, it's, it's since I started covering 
the Arizona beer scene in like 2017. It's been really cool to see the, um, I think before we started recording, we were talking about it is how involved Arizona food and beverages and, and, and more so probably maybe just because of my knowledge, because that's what I focused on is beer, but the brewing community is so involved with conservation and, and sustainability. It's, it's, it, you, you, you barked up the right tree on that one, <laughs> you know? Um, and you, you had mentioned too about how, you know, you need to get younger people involved, right? You need to, because, yeah. you know, you've got, you've got these, you know, older uh, white people that, that, have a lot of time on the hands, but you need to get that younger crowd in and that the beer community brings that in. Um, one thing I heard somebody say recently was, you know, say what you will about millennials. They care about the environment, right? You could say this about them or that one thing, like they're, they're solid on caring about the environment. So when you bring cool craft beer into the mix and then you bring in that, that, Hey, not only are you going to be drink awesome, this awesome sour saison from Arizona wilderness, but you're also going to learn how you can play a part in, in changing some of the negative things that are happening with the environment in Arizona. So that's brilliant, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been great. You know, that, that sour you mentioned with wilderness, that's our hummingbird spring saison. And it, yeah. it usually comes out in May for migratory bird day. It's an annual event. Um, but you know, it's pushed off this year because of, yeah. of COVID and everything being shut down. But we're, we're excited to get back up and going with that. And um, we're actually going to be installing a, a garden at uh, the downtown location, Wilderness's downtown Phoenix location. Yeah. It's going to be Audubon's first bird-friendly beer garden. Because uh, on top of the water stuff with that, with the hummingbird focus, we want to, to encourage people to start using native plants, um, using plants in their outdoor spaces that benefit birds and other wildlife. And you know, our Wilderness is all about telling the story of Arizona. Um, yeah. So having a, an all native garden at their place benefits them too. And we're real excited to, to get that beer out there. And like you said, remind people that they, they have a part in this, whether it's helping us advocate for water issues or grabbing a couple plants and turning your backyard into a place that, that wildlife can take advantage of. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's what it's all about. Well, people to work. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, the passion, right. I, I think that that's something that, that I would think would cross over is like craft beers is passion, man. And yeah. I, 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 my prediction when this whole COVID thing happened and, and when places started shutting down, I'm like, you know what, there are going to be some places that obviously aren't going to make it, but the, but most of these people have quit something they've hated to do this, which they love. This is like their dream. So dude, it's, it's like, when you've got an animal cornered, like that's a dangerous animal, you know what I mean? Right. So, so they're going to fight. They're going to fight for everything that, that everything that they can. Um, yeah. And, and they're going to support saying. each other. That's, yeah. That's exactly. the other thing I've been blown away with, with the beer community is there's, you'd think it would be a cutthroat kind of business because there's yeah. so much competition. It feels like there's a craft brewery popping up on every corner, Yeah, but you don't see that they support no. each other and they, they share materials and resources and really step up for each other when, when someone's having a hard time. So it, yeah, it's unique. You don't see that everywhere. No, no, especially in food and beverage. Right. I mean, I, I, yeah. I feel, I feel even the restaurant industry is a little bit like that too in Arizona where, you know, I've talked to chefs that have been chefs in Chicago or New York or whatever. They're like, dude, it's brutal. It's brutal. You come to Arizona and it's more like, it's more of a community. You know, we did the, 
Um, I covered the, the carrot sour from Helton that he did with the, with the six chefs. Dude, to have those six chefs that are really in, in, in many ways competition, but they were just like, dude, this is great. They loved hanging out with their friends because they don't ever get out of the restaurant <laughs> that they were they're working 90 hours a week so um it's cool man it's it's a i think arizona has a lot of really really cool things um about it that make it really special a really special community um beyond just the environment that we talked about you absolutely know? yeah so uh, the other one that i remember too as i'm looking well as i'm i'm looking here there were three that i remembered rain crow ipa that was one just recently right that was the most recent one um or maybe yeah that's our most recent release i think that was our that last release was our second annual release of it it came out in 28 end of 2018 the first time and then um end of 2019 and that one um it celebrated one of my favorite birds the western yellow-billed cuckoo it's a bird not many people know about but is really (laughs) emblematic of the west it has that nickname rain crow because it it has a tendency to call right before the monsoons come in. Ah. Um, it's one of our last migrants to, to get here in the summer and the first to leave. They're really tied to that, that monsoon cycle in the summer. And in, I think it was 2014, they were listed as a threatened species because they, they depend on our rivers and our rivers have been dammed, diverted, grazed, and you know, otherwise changed from that, that cottonwood willow gallery forest that they're used to. Um, we've lost close to 90% of our riparian habitat, our riverside habitat in the state compared to what we used to have. Um, So it celebrates that bird and it was first put out to help us get some attention around the drought contingency plan. Um, So the drought contingency plan, which passed in 2018, was really an effort to prop up Lake Mead. Lake Mead is our our biggest reservoir here in the West. It stores water on the Colorado River Basin and provides water to some 40 million people um, across California and Arizona and other parts in the West. Um, And the issue with it is that the law, like all water law, is real complicated and based in convoluted history. So there are... Um, the the basin, the lower Colorado River Basin states all get a certain allotment of water from that river system. Okay. And the math that it was based off of was based off a really wet chunk of years um, and didn't include climate change because they weren't thinking about that back then. So there are actually more water rights to that river than there are is actual water in the river to take. And what that results in is what they call a structural deficit where you're pulling more water out than gets put in every year. Um, You know, like a deficit in a bank account or a budget. Um, And because of that, Lake Mead, the level was dropping and dropping and dropping. Um, And what they're trying to avoid is a situation they call Deadpool where the water in that reservoir gets so low that the infrastructure doesn't work anymore. They can't pump water out of it. Um, They can't make power there, um, which would have huge repercussions in the West about, I'm not sure for Tucson, but about 60, I'm sorry, about 40% of our water in Phoenix comes from the Colorado. Okay. Um, So if we lose almost half of our water on a dime, that's an issue. Um, There are, there are shortage declarations that are in the books. um, And, 
they were set up um, back when, oh, I forget when that original set, it's referred to as the law of the river. It's like this big package of laws that were kind of added together over time. And one of the rules that it follows is the rule of prior appropriation, which is a, a first come first serve kind of thing. Okay. Um, where if there's a shortage and there needs to be a water cut, the junior right holders lose water first. The people who came to the table latest take the cuts first. Um, so if you, if you have that old, old water, right, you're pretty safe. Yeah. And the issue with Arizona is that we came to the table late in the game. Um, until we built, built the central Arizona project, that big canal, we weren't taking water from the river. And because of that, we had junior water rights. So when those shortages come in, some of the states like California and those first level shortages, the way it's written, don't have to take any cuts at all. We lose all of our water before they start losing water. Uh, um, yeah. So from Arizona's perspective, it, it really made sense to develop some sort of contingency plan yeah. um, so that we can share in the shortages, share in the conservation efforts, and hopefully all boats kind of rise and hopefully the level of Lake Mead kind of rises too. pardon the yeah. Um <laughs> And from Audubon's perspective, it, it was a little bit of a hard sell because, you know, like what does propping up an artificial reservoir have to do with protecting habitat? And the connection is that if we don't have Colorado River water, we're not just going to pack up and move somewhere else. We're going to start using other sources of water. We're going to start pumping groundwater. We're going to start diverting other surface waters which means that those few wetlands and rivers and water dependent habitats that we have left are at huge risk. Cause when uh, you're talking about big yeah. populations centers like Phoenix and Tucson, our politicians aren't going to put birds first in those yeah. equations, you know, it, sure. um, birds and habitat are going to suffer and we want to avoid that. Um, so rain crow, you know, you, when, drought contingency plan DCP was happening, it was reported on and reported on and reported on and reported on. And it got to the point where reporters were like, you know, this stuff is really complicated. We've talked about it a million times. Nothing's really changed. Yeah. Um, we know it's important, but like we can't just keep writing the same story. Yeah. Uh, so when rain crow came out, um, we got some attention from Arizona central and they thanked us. They were like, this is awesome. Like we can talk about DCP in a way that's, exciting and relevant um yeah and selfishly for me it allowed me to talk about drought contingency plan as it relates to the environment yeah. which is something that didn't happen in a lot of the discussions we were talking about cities and agriculture um human uses you know yeah so yeah. being able to to get out in front of that conversation um and you know talk about how it it impacts some other things was was really cool and that's what those beers help us do they help us tell these stories yeah. and get eyes on things that might not otherwise be paying well, attention to it. Absolutely, man. And, and I mean, when you're connecting with, with the best breweries in the state with Arizona wilderness and Ren house and borderlands crooked tooth, I mean, you guys are, you're making some great connections cause they've got a voice and they're passionate about, about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, they absolutely are. Yeah. Do you see, um, do you see a change? Like, do you see a positive? And I know this takes generations to, to really see the big picture, but are you seeing improvements? Is it, is it making the progress that you guys think it should be? Or, I mean, um, we always want it to be faster and better, right? But yeah, like on, 
on the small scale of just, you know, Audubon Arizona and our work, I do see improvement. Um, the The voices that we have speaking up for this are still have a lot of work to do, but there are a lot more, there's a lot more diversity in the voices that are, are stepping up with us. Um, drought contingency plan was passed. That was a huge, huge win. And you're seeing conversations that are a little bit different, you know, like we all, we say it all the time. We're all in this together. Like it, I don't have to convince someone to care about birds to compare, to care about water conservation, like whether it's birds or beer or your farm or just having water come out of your tap um, for you and your kids and the rest. It, people care about water and it's real clear that we're in a tough place. You know, we're, yeah. we're in a, a long-term drought and it looks like that's going to continue. And even the voices that were historically kind of antagonistic to any rules that curtailed their water use are, are starting to think a little bit differently. Before the legislature shut down this session because of COVID, there were some really positive groundwater bills moving through. Um, like one that was, we were pushing, wanted to, the way Arizona water law is written is it's kind of use it or lose it. So if you're a farm and you get a certain allotment of water every year, if you only lose half of it, after a certain number of years, you lose that other half and it goes to a new water user, um, mm. which discourages conservation. Um, you know, think about like, like Sinalgo Mall and Hauser and Hauser Farms, where they're, they're using less water by switching water intensive crops over to barley. And if, they, if Hauser does that for too long under the way the law is written, they're going to lose that water. And they're, that's like punishing them for yeah. doing the right thing. So uh, a bill was moving through and unfortunately got stopped in its tracks because the legislator, legislature closed. Um, but it wanted to change that law and set up where if you put together a conservation plan, I think it was like once every couple of years, you have to submit a plan, let them know what you're doing. You wouldn't lose, lose that water. Yeah. Um, and that's been something that the environmental community has been pushing for for a long time. And there was just a lot of pushback to it because it was, you know, changing the way that water's historically been managed. Um, and even the voices that normally would have pushed against that were on board. It was one of those rare instances where you had mm -hmm. like Republicans and Democrats and rural and urban water users, like all, all on the same page. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I think that's what drought contingency plan did. Cause it was it, it, like DCP basically came down to, they had to agree how much water each state was going to voluntarily stop using to keep in the lake. Yeah. And then at the slower level, who was going to take those cuts? Um, yeah. So it wasn't a comfortable conversation. Right. You can <laughs> imagine like, like who's going to give up their water. <laughs> right. um, so it really forced everybody come to come to the table and compromise in a really big way. And I think that that that's going to carry, carry forward. Yeah. Um, and the brewers were a big part. Um, being able to get that, that voice out there was really instrumental in getting that done. Yeah, and um, they're vocal too. Like, right? They're not afraid. The borderlands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well they're, well, they're not afraid to to stand up there and and 
talk about and fight for what they believe in. Right. I mean, not saying that doesn't exist in other industries, but, uh, but the specific people that you guys have partnered with, they do that. (laughs) They do. They they stand up and yeah, Yeah, they really do. Um, I don't think we could have done it with just like any small business sector, you know, it it had to be brewers. So why, why do you think, why do you think that there are so many people getting on board now? I mean, is it just becoming more and more obvious that, I mean, obviously the, the work of organizations like yours to create that awareness, but um, why do you think people are more getting on board now? Because um, we're trying to avoid a crisis moment. Yeah. And you people know, realize at this point that it, it is a crisis or can yeah, be. Yeah. 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 People get that now and there's nothing like a crisis to bring people together. You That's know? right. <laughs> yes. Well, what's, what's, I mean, obviously you had said that the legislative side of things ha, has come to a stop. Um, what else is, do you see being impacted with what you guys do with, with COVID with the shutdown um, and everything now? All sorts of stuff. You know, we're all like, like everyone who's fortunate enough to still be working. We're working from home. Yeah. Um, we're not able to get out and do field work. Uh, right now, we should be out doing um, marsh bird surveys, birds that live in the wetlands. This is okay. the time of year that they breed. Um, but we can't get out into the field because, you know, anything like a broken ankle walking around out there can land you in the hospital, which is a unsafe thing for you. And Yeah, don't I don't even think about any. that. I'm like, yeah, because yeah, like, I all thought about little, it. It's all those little things that pop up. Like at first I was like, what? I can't go in the field. Who am I going to get sick in the field? Yeah. And then that was brought to my attention. It was just like, oh shit, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) So we really had to take a step back and think about um, what we were going to do. We do a lot of field trip programs out of the Rio Salado Center. Those are all, we're all cut early. All of our, um, our education programs, our community conservation um, kind of like hands-on restoration work programs have been been stopped. Our legislation, legislative work has been stopped, and you know, really all across the board. Because you know, our what makes Audubon different from other organ conservation organizations is that we're not always out there doing the work. We put people to action for birds and habitat. Okay. Um, so when you remove the people from that equation, we're you know some wheels are still turning, but a lot have stopped. And we've really been focusing on what can we provide to, to our people, our followers during this time that isn't tone deaf, um, but also reminds people that during stressful times, birds are an incredible resource. Like there's nothing more relaxing to me than, just watching birds, just watching them do what they do, going out yeah. somewhere, seeing what's flying around. Um, and there's things, you know, like our, I was talking about with uh, Hummingbird Spring Saison and our Plants for Birds program. Now is a great time to be spending time in your backyard improving habitat. Yeah. Um, so just trying to figure out, like, we know a lot of our people turn to birds in the environment to get them through struggle. So we want to provide that right now um, in a way that, it's genuine and you know, we don't want to like pretend that this isn't going on, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, but we want to give them what we can so that when the wheels start turning again, they're there because our, our people are the teeth of Audubon. Um, if it was just, you know, the, the couple hundred employees we have speaking up for this across the country, 
we get some stuff done. Um, but it's our thousands and thousands of members and chapters and local conservation leaders that that really make things happen. Um, so we want to make sure that we're there for them during this and they'll be there for us and for birds when, when we're back at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a tough balance though, right? Because like yeah. you said, you don't want to be tone deaf. You, I think about that with, with what we do is, you know, like I want to have like a fun conversation with a chef or a brewer or something like that. I'm like, but that is that, is that okay? And then there are people like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like it, people want, want to be entertained at this point. Right. And yeah. And they want being, to still like being sensitive about it, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're, we're fortunate here in Arizona that like social distancing can mean driving out into the wilderness and, you know, camping for a couple of days. Yeah. But if you live in somewhere like New York where to get outdoors, you've got to get on an elevator and a subway. It, you don't have that opportunity, you know? Yeah, so, and no. I mean, if you're not able-bodied, you don't have that opportunity. So yeah. like wrapping it in a way that, that just like recognizes the limitations people are dealing with right now, especially, um, and making sure there's something for something for everyone, you know, sure. like you can't, we don't want to not celebrate, you know, if you want to go out and get up on top of Mount Lemon, that's a great thing to do. But yeah. if you can't, then we want to make sure there's something for you too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just, just been taking a lot of thought, but I think it's yeah. good, you know, for a, a community conservation organization, thinking about how best to engage our community is, it's only a good thing, you know, for sure. Yeah. Because we'll, we'll learn a lot through this. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like, you'll, this is, this is like, I, this is a whole new environment. Um, if you really can, can, create a precise message or precise communication now then when things loosen up a little bit then it you know it's it's like almost like you know training camp type of thing right like just go hard right now like you got to yeah. be on your p's and q's you got to be you know you got to have your shit straight uh but yeah no i'm with you man I, i'm with you there's there's definitely some major major negatives going on right now but there's also some positives that that can that, that are going to help us not only through this but then i think elevate us once we're we're through this as well you yeah know? i think so so you had mentioned planting you know some some native plants in your backyard trying to kind of build up that that habitat for for local um wildlife and and species what are some things that people can other things people can do right now to um to help support what you guys are doing Oh, um, lots of stuff. Uh, so first off, what we're, so you, you're getting the things that we're offering. Make sure to check out az.audubon.org. Um, you spell Audubon, how do you spell A-U-D-U-B-O-N. Okay. Yeah. So az.audubon.org. Um, and dive into a lot of our resources there. Check us out on Facebook too. We've got a lot of, um, uh, like webinars kind of, um, videos, uh, stuff like that to engage people with what we're doing. We've been putting up videos like every week. Um, we've got relocated burrowing owls at the, the park where our center is located that we have to feed every day because they were okay. recently translocated. Um, so you'll get some like fun videos like that. And you also, if you want to dive deeper into some of these water issues, we've got some webinars coming up that you can check out. Um, in order, or ways that folks can take action, definitely join the Western Rivers Action Network. Um, okay. You can find that on our website pretty easy. Um, and that'll just put you on a mailing list. We don't, we don't send anything out until your voice is needed. Um, 
we try to be really respectful of that because we want people to to speak up when we need them to speak up. So sign up for that network. And when there's positive legislation that you can support, we'll reach out. When there is detrimental legislation that we need to fight, we'll reach out. Um, it's a great way to keep up with what's going on with water in the West and how it impacts the things we care about. Um, if you happen to own a brewery, um, definitely reach out to me about the Western or the Western Rivers Brewers Council. Um, so again, that's a group of about 25 brewers so far in Arizona and in Colorado that help us lift up our Western Rivers Action Network work, um, engaging new audiences, being advocates. Um, check out plantsforbirds.audubon.org. Uh, that's where you'll learn all about our Plants for Birds initiative and how what you plant can make a difference for birds and other wildlife. There's also a really cool resource there where you type in your email address and your zip code, and it'll give you a personalized list of native plants that would be good for you to use and what critters are going to benefit. Um, what else can people get into right now? That last one, birds. just I really like that last one. That's cool. Like it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a fun one, I think. We were just talking about it today, actually. Um, there's something about getting in your garden that, it, like, it's good to do all the time, but I feel like, especially right now, like, having a patch of earth that you have kind of a, it may be a false sense of control, but it's a sense of control <laughs> and sure. order, and, like, you can do things and see the impact. You know, you put like a chuparosa in the ground and then three days later you have hummingbirds in your yard. It's like, shit, I did it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> something I did made a positive impact on the world. Um, and in a, in a conservation scene where like, like water's a huge issue. Like we need a, an army to, to do this stuff. Climate change is this like existential quandary that, um, it's hard to wrap your head around and figure out like how you as an individual can make an impact. So I think having something like plants for birds is it, it gives people something they can grab onto and it's tangible and you see immediate positive impacts. You know, you like put a Palo Verde in your yard and then three years later you have nesting burden in your yard yeah. and it, it, it works and you can see it and it, it feels really good. Um, I think, yeah, especially right now, that's an awesome program to get into. And then, obviously, when this when this blows over, and you guys are going to start continue to do the awareness type events, right? That you've done, like the pop ups with wilderness and things like that. Yeah, hopefully, um, we'll yeah. Doing, so the the garden Arizona wilderness um, will take the form of a conservation work day. So when we can gather on the said the third Saturday of all of the months that are not too hot to work outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> um, we gather up and do some sort of conservation project, whether it's installing or working on a garden or relocating burrowing owls or um, removing invasive species. We've been doing some work out on the Tonto, helping with a restoration site. So the, the projects vary, but yeah. it's a regular event every month. If you want to come out, get your hands dirty, do some good conservation work. Um, Again, Birds and Beer, uh, third Thursday of every month. Um, we're actually doing those online now. So okay, if you nice. want to like reach out, get some curbside pickup or delivery from your favorite brewer, um, and check us out on Facebook, and um, those will pop up on the third Thursdays. The next one 
is being done by a, a buddy of mine from the Game and Fish Department. He'll be talking about Gila Top Minnow and Desert Pupfish. They're two, oh. used to be the most common fish in Arizona. Um, now they're both critically endangered. So he'll, oh. he'll be talking about that from the perspective of uh, the Bureau of Reclamation. So that'll be a, that'll be a fun one. Um, and then once we're back in person, you can come do that at the center. Um, our field trips will ramp back up. So if you've got kids or if you're a teacher, um, definitely t- check out our educational resources. Um, and, you know, if, if you want to get your, your kids or your students engaged in, in caring about the, the planet and the, the things other than us that use it, um, get them out to participate in some of that. So, yeah, all sorts of stuff. That's awesome, man. There are a lot of things. There, there are a lot of, like, so there's really no reason for anybody to be like, oh, I don't know. I don't really know. Eh, there's a lot of resources there for you. Yeah. We'll guide you. We'll hold your hand. Come here. Yeah, Come we'll over here. We, yeah. you know, like I said, like our, our job is to put people to conservation action. So it, yeah. if you reach out and you're like, I don't know what to do, but I want to help, um, we, we've got answers for you. you. Steven will be like, I got you, man. Come on. Grab a beer. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so in when we come back, we'll be doing um, uh, Hummingbird Spring Saison. That's going to come out. Um, we plan to do, and all this stuff is a little up in the air because I don't want to, I don't want to pin brewers to anything right now. Sure, um, given yeah. that so much is changing for them. But we had planned to do Rain Crow again uh, down at Borderlands in probably August. Okay. Um, in December, we're hoping to get Oso Petal House. Oro Brewing Company and Sanagua Malt um, to do a beer celebrating the Salt River to okay. support that work we're doing, um, that restoration work we're doing out on the salt. Um, and we'll have a big community conservation work day uh, one Saturday that month to planting trees, removing invasive species, spreading seed, um, helping out with a, a big restoration effort that's going on there just outside of Mesa. Yeah. Um, so those are the three beers that are on on my mind right now um <laughs> there might be some others i've been talking to Ren house about doing something um and then prison hill out in yuma um we've been trying to figure something out that we can do to celebrate the colorado over there by by those guys so yeah just keep an eye out there'll be yeah. there'll be more beers to come excellent man excellent well dude thanks for taking the time to to talk and this is Absolutely. uh thanks this is awesome me. what you guys are doing yeah yeah my I pleasure appreciate it for sure. So people can reach out to you directly and say, Hey, Steven, I, uh, <laughs> you actually, I'm looking here on the Brewers, uh, the Brewers yeah. council, your info is right there, man. Like it's, yep. it's <laughs> Steven.prager at audubon.org. Feel free yeah. to reach out. Um, and I hope I see you out at maybe one of our conservation work days with a shovel yeah. in your hand or a, yeah. a birds and beer with a beer in your hand. Either way works. Absolutely. I'll bring my kids too. I'll put them to work. <laughs> right on. Yeah, let's do it. Cool. All right, Stephen. Hey, thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Make sure you check these guys out. Support where you can. Once again, this is the Audubon Society of Arizona or Arizona Audubon Society of National Autobuns, I think is what it's called. You know what I'm talking about. Also, the Western Rivers Brewers Council. Check them out. Um, Hopped Up Network. Got to give a shout out to those guys. Uh, we're part of that Hopped Up Network. So just uh, it's a group of uh, really cool craft beer podcasts across the country. 
and just trying to do our best to keep the the stories of craft beer uh, rolling. So check it out, hoppedupnetwork.com. And thanks for the support, always. You guys are the best, and um, we love what we do, and we love getting these stories out to you, and we thank you guys for the support, and we thank you for always remembering to stay awesome.